0: I want to talk about a revival of holiness, a revival of holiness. How many has ever heard the word holiness? Holiness, sure. Holiness does not seem to be a topic that is popular in the church world today. Those with a heritage in the church may think that the word holiness refers to a particular group of people considered. More than modest and ultra conservative in the way that they dress. Unfortunately, most people have little concept of holiness. Even some who attend church and call themselves Christians really don't know what holiness really means. May I tell you that holiness is not a denomination, holiness is not a title. And we're going to go through that this morning. Our ideas and definition of holiness are only relevant if they align with the word of God. That's why we must seek to understand what God's desire is. Because I believe that God wants his people in a revival of holiness. A revival of holiness. And as you know that I'm prone to do, I I get the dictionary and I look up words because I think words are powerful. They have meaning. If you look at the word revival, it means to return to life, to become active or flourishing again, to restore from a depressed, inactive, or unused state, to bring back. It also means to renew in the memory, in the mind, or memory. Those are the things that revive really means. In Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15, it says, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is what? Holy. Holy, Whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, and here's what I want you to get, the last sentence of this, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Holiness really means the quality or state of being holy. Boy, that's a hunk of logic, isn't it? (laughs) But the word holy means exalted or worthy of complete devotion As one perfect in goodness and righteousness. Consecrated or set apart for sacred use. Set apart to a sacred use. So in other words, what a revival of holiness is, a renewed attention to God, inviting him to bring back a restoration, a flourishing life, A recommitting, a realigning, and setting ourselves apart for His sacred use and purpose. A renewed devotion to His Word, His character, and His divine nature. I believe that God's people need a revival of holiness. We need this in our lives. We need to have a renewed devotion to His Word, His character, and His divine nature. We need to be reminded of those things. So I want to go through a number of points here. And there's a lot of scriptures that I'm going to share this morning. You may want to jot some of them down. Number one, God is holy. Part of the song that Moses and Miriam sang because they trusted in the Lord and they feared God, which means they had a great respect for, for him, after they faced the Egyptian army and God opened up the Red Sea for them in, in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, he said, who, are, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? And he said, Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory working wonders. We sang about that just a moment ago. Isaiah 6, 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. This is also the same vision that was given to John in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. The first thing the angels proclaimed is that the Lord God Almighty is what? Holy. Everybody say holy. 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 Psalm twenty nine and two. Ascribe to the Lord the glory; do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. He is worthy, Church, of complete devotion. He is perfect in goodness and in righteousness. He is holy. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter twenty, verse fifteen. He said, "Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all." Who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. How many of you ever been discouraged or afraid because of something that you're facing? This is what the Lord said to you. Do not be discouraged or afraid because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. See, he has to do something. Take up your positions and then stand firm, so you're taking up the positions, standing firm, when you have done what God has told you to do, then you will see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. I want you to get this, church. This is what the people of God did. They fell down, they worshipped him. Then some Levites from the Kohathites, the, the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. They didn't just sit down and crawl in the corner and say, oh Lord, what am I going to do? They stood up, they took their positions, they stood firm, and they began to praise the Lord. And it was a vocal experience, church. Yes. Don't ever be afraid to speak out your praise with your lips and with your mouth. If, if it's hard for you to do in public, do it in private first. Well, people think I'm crazy. No, they'll know what you're doing. When you do it when nobody's around, then it's okay. I mean, you know, know, I play the horn. I don't play it very often. And I've had people ask me to play it uh, because I haven't played it on a regular basis in a long time. I played it Easter. And uh, I took it home, something I haven't done in years. I took it home and I actually practiced it home because it had been so long because I practiced when nobody else was around um, because I didn't want to practice for the first time in a long time in front of you guys because I knew how it would sound. If you're out of the practice of praising the Lord, get back in the practice of praising the Lord. I got to move on. There's a lot of stuff here. Verse 20, early in the morning they left the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him, here's why, for the splendor of his holiness they went out at the head of the army saying give thanks to the Lord for his love his mercy endures forever as they began to sing and praise the Lord the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated church do you get what this verse is telling us this passage is telling us they praised him because he is worthy of complete devotion he is perfect in goodness and in righteousness. He is holy. They play, praise Him in the splendor of His holiness. And when they begin to praise Him, His love, His mercy endures forever. We give thanks to the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You don't have to have any fancy words. Just sing. Just, just praise Him. Say, Jesus, I love You. Lord, You are holy. You are good. You are righteous. Your mercy endures forever. And when you begin to praise Him like I believe that the same defeat that comes to the enemy will come to the enemy in your life as you begin to praise the Lord. But you have to begin to praise Him. I've told you there's only two times to praise the Lord when you feel like it and when you don't. And when you praise Him, when you feel like it, then you'll find out that when you don't feel like it is usually when the enemy's coming against you and he's got all this stuff. And you're like, oh, I just don't feel like praising the Lord. Everything's just cra- coming crashing around. That's exactly when you need to praise the Lord. A little boy went into a restaurant with his, with his dad. He ordered at the counter. They gave him a number. And they sat down. And the little boy asked his dad, why'd they they give us that number, dad? Because so when the food is ready, they'll know what table to bring it to. The little boy looked around and he said, there's nobody else here. Don't you think they'll know where to bring it? (laughs) And he said this, he said, if they don't use the system when they don't need it, They won't know how to use it when they do. God, it's so profound. And there's a vast spiritual application there. 1 Chronicles 16.29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Psalm 96.9 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor or the beauty of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Do you get the idea that He is holy? That we should worship Him in the splendor of His holiness. Number two, the Lord calls His people... To be holy. The Lord calls his people to be holy. Romans six fifteen says this What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, and ever-increasing wickedness. So now you offer your slave you offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. Which means when you offer yourselves completely up to the Lord, you're giving everything to him, you do so unto holiness. It leads to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? These things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit or fruit you reap from your Relationship with God through Jesus Christ leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Do you see the progression here? We give ourselves to Jesus, to God through Jesus Christ. It leads to holiness and that ushers us into eternal life. It's a progression. When you accept Christ, you accept his holiness and that gives us eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord, your spiritual attitude, your fervency or lack of it will determine whether you will allow a revival of holiness to permeate through your heart and your soul and to take hold of your life. It's the difference between God being your co-pilot and God being your pilot. It used to be a license plate, I haven't seen it in quite some time. God is my co-pilot. No, thank you. I don't want God to be my co-pilot. I want him to be my pilot. I want him to be in charge. What's the difference? What's the difference is is when I'm in charge, I get to say I say and I choose what I want to do, and then I just go to God and I say, Okay, God, I got a problem. That's what a lot of people do. They live their Christian lives like that. They 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 go to church. They call themselves Christians. They do their best to live by the book, but they have relegated their relationship with Jesus Christ to a very small part of what he would want. And when we say, I don't want to make a decision until I talk to God on anything, that's the difference right there. Who's really in charge? Jesus better be in charge of your life if you intend to make it through this life and then to heaven after we're done here. Just playing church won't get you there. Just playing around won't do. Pretending to live a good Christian life won't get you there. There must be a genuine revival of holiness, that complete devotion to Him because He is worthy and He is perfect in goodness and in righteousness. You can tell you are living a revival of holiness if you take hold and you cling to Him today and every day that He gives you because every day is a gift from God, as long as you live because His Word demands that we live a holy life. There's no shades of gray. It's either black or white. You either do or you don't. It's not, well, sort of. No, it's not that. It's you either live a holy life or you don't. One pastor tells this story. He said, in a, church served, in a church I once served, an alcoholic attended occasionally. After one service, I intercepted him in the foyer and asked him if he would give his life to Christ. He replied, Pastor, I'm not good enough. As soon as I can give up my drinking, then I'll get saved. No amount of coaxing or theological elucidation could move him. What this man had right was that God does demand holiness, a godly lifestyle. What he had wrong was that he could achieve it by himself. When God saves, he is the one who does the changing. Till then, God sees all our attempts at good works works as filthy rags. Works don't get you saved. They are evidence of your salvation. This man's problem was not the sin of alcoholism. His problem was that he was a sinner. The line between holiness and legalism is often blurred. Legalism is a set of rules. Holiness is a way of life. Holiness says, how close to Jesus can I get? Legalism begrudges sacrifice. Holiness gladly gives more than is required. Obedience is more likely when you love the one you must obey and live your life to please him. Those who obey out of fear are constantly searching for loopholes. Where lives are touched, behavior is changed. The touch of God comes first. When revival hits, people are not bound by legalism. They have a passion for holiness. A person is touched by the hand of God. A person... Touched by the hand of God does not need a list of television programs he shouldn't watch. Instead, his spirit is stricken with grief at the sound of a profane word or sexual innuendo. He does not grudgingly turn the channel as his eyes linger. His spirit compels him to rid his home of filth. Holiness grows out of nearness to God, not out of any attempt to keep a set of rules. Revival and holiness are inseparable. Holiness Without revival breeds legalism. A revival that does, not produce, that does not produce holy lives is no revival at all. Just yesterday, I saw a story that broke my heart. A man who was actively working in his church, married with four children, was tempted by the devil by lust for another man. He chose to break up his marriage and follow his desires. This is the way the devil works. This should be no surprise to anyone who knows the word of God. Yes, this is tragic for the children, his ex-spouse, but here's what, the, what is the biggest heartbreak. I was just gripped with sadness when I saw this. Since traditional churches, which is code for Bible-based we're not accepting. He sought to locate a place that would be welcoming. He goes to a place where he will feel comfortable, accepted and not challenged to live a holy life based on the unchanging word of God. And fortunately, this story is all too common of how the enemy works. You can insert whatever sin you can think of because that's what the devil does. He focuses his efforts on an individual's weakness and that's where he goes to work. We will never get God to come over to our side when we are living a sinful life. It just won't happen. He calls us out of sin to save us from our sin, not in our sin where we indulge our own sinful human nature which is sinful. When He saves us, He sets us free, and then we choose—we choose to accept Jesus on in His divine nature and not ours, not our human nature. He is holy, and He's called us to be holy, set apart for His use and dedicated. To his word, Leviticus eleven forty five says this: "I am the Lord who brought you out up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy." Hebrews twelve fourteen says this: "Make every effort to live at peace, live in peace with everyone, and to be holy. Without holiness, some." We'll get to see the Lord. No, it doesn't say that. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You could say you've accepted Christ. But if you do not live a holy life, if you do not live in a holy way according to the word of God, you won't see the Lord in the same way. In an article called Cultivating a Heart for Holiness, Dr. Cheryl Bridges-Johns, she's professor of Christian formation and discipleship at Church of God Theological Seminary in Cleveland, Tennessee, writes this, In spite of the biblical admonitions toward holiness, much of Protestant theology with its overemphasis upon forensic justification and imputed righteousness has created a Christian culture of sinful people. This arises from failure to see the full gospel, one that brings about actual transformation. Such failure causes many Christians, even spirit-filled ones, to believe that holiness is not necessary. They are content to remain sinners saved by grace, but not transformed by that grace." The popular bumper sticker, Christians are not perfect, just forgiven, sums up this concept. Because of this truncated understanding of salvation, too many believers do not see a life of holiness as necessary for their Christian journey. They are content to live in the shadow lands of a profane culture, making excuses for besetting sins. As a consequence, their witness is weak and their, and a lack of power marks their journey. I thought that was a pretty powerful summation. Okay, we've looked at the scriptures of how God is holy and that he has called his people to be holy. Now I want us to look at what the other scriptures tell us about the lives of holiness. A revival of holiness is, again, a renewed attention to God, inviting him to bring back a restoration of flourishing life, recommitting, realigning, and setting ourselves apart for his sacred use or his purpose Renewed devotion to his word, his nature, and his his character and his divine nature. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Many of you have probably heard this scripture. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between... The temple of God and idols, for we are the temple of the living God, church. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from, uh, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. How many knows we're supposed to be separate from the world? We're supposed to live differently than the world. Touch no unclean thing, and when you do this, I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, therefore, because of all this, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. What in the world does this mean? What does it mean to purify ourselves? It means to purpose, to make things right, to get things right. How many how many's ever washed clothes? So if you've done it any length of time, maybe you've washed a pan. Maybe you've had to use a utensil for something that you thought Uh, man, I just don't know if I want to use that thing again after that nastiness that I just had to use it for. And you think, well, I'll scour it, I'll boil it, I'll do this, and I'll sanitize it, and I'll do that. Maybe you wash it five, six times, and you think, okay, it's all right. But it wasn't just like you had to do something, you know, maybe you scraped out a leftover that got left in the fridge too long. You didn't just rinse it off and stick it back in your drawer. No, you didn't do that, did you? Um, You purposely made sure that it was right before you went further with it. And that's what we need to do. We need to purify ourselves. He cleanses us from sin, but we're responsible for keeping ourselves pure. Keeping ourselves clean. And from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, how many know that there are contaminants out there? Yes. If I told you we've got a great meal waiting for you after church, seven-course meal, and we've got it set up out here on a table, the problem is, is we've got it all set up out there uncovered. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, you've had flies and stuff all over that. I'm not, you know. And you're thinking, oh, well, you know. They might have been there, but they're not there now. It's okay. And you're thinking, I don't think so. (laughs) But if it was kept in the right condition, and then, you see what we're saying here? We have to make sure these things, when they're just left out there, we're like that. We get out of this world, there's all kinds of things that want to contaminate us. The enemy wants to bring all this stuff against our mind and our spirit. And we have to purify ourselves from those things. Perfecting holiness, that's how we perfect holiness. That's how we live a holy life, by making right choices, by living the way according to the Word of God. Purifying ourselves is making a clean break from everything that is against the Word of God, walking after the Spirit, not after the flesh. We do this out of reverence and love for God, which makes us His holiness, which makes His holiness perfect in us. Number three, holiness is putting away the sinful past. Holiness is putting away the sinful past. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How many want to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Then, verse 14 says, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, And by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of god because of their ignorance in them uh, that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts having lost all sensitivity they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed that however is not the way of life you learn what you have heard about when you have heard about christ and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in jesus verse 22 You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. We put off the old self to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, Created to be like God in true righteousness, and here it is, church, and holiness. When you fully embrace and take on the true, the new nature of Christ, you are embracing holiness. Therefore, verse 25 each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are. All members of one body in your anger do not sin, do, let not, do, let not the, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold, because he will take it. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to do, something to share with those in need. Sharing with those in need is what comes out of living a holy life because once we get the turmoil settled in our lives and we're not living in the old self anymore, we're living in the new self, then we don't have to wrestle with all of these things. I've had people ask me, is it okay if I do this? Can a Christian still do this and be a Christian? Is it okay? We had several years ago, we had a, 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 a fall festival event. And a teenage girl that didn't attend church, she came to the church and asked one of the workers there, can I still be a Christian and sleep with my boyfriend? And you're thinking, people out there need to know what it means to live a holy life. Number four, discipline leads to holiness. We all have an idea of what discipline is. Some people equate discipline to punishment. Can I tell you, discipline is not punishment. Discipline, by definition, means to instruct or educate, to inform the mind, to prepare by instructing in correct principles and habits. Now, there may have been times in your past, as in mine, where discipline and punishment went hand in hand. Punishment... Because I knew better, discipline to let me know, don't do it again. <laughs> and do something better. Hebrews 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 4 says this, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, as you, and you have completely forgotten this word, of encouragement that addresses you as a father or addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. How many know the Lord disciplines? Mm-hmm. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He loves you, so he disciplines you. What what does that mean? He brings correction and instruction into your life. And he chastens everyone he accepts as as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father in spirit's And live. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good. Here's why in order that we may share in His holiness. How many have come across somebody that knows everything? (laughs) <laughs> and if you're one of those people that think you know everything then sometimes this can be a challenge is accepting correction and instruction from the Lord and from the word of God because what we think is not nearly as important as what the word of God says our granddaughter journey's 20 months old and a few months ago she was at the house maybe a month ago and um I was watching her out in the front yard and we have a sloped down area that goes to our neighbor's yard and how many know that if you're if you go down a hill and you don't expect it you can actually start going a little bit faster than you intend and it can trip you up and so she was walking in the front yard toward that sloped area. It's not a steep slope for us but it's steep for her and I just didn't want her to lose her footing and start tumbling. It's not—it's not very long. and She probably would have been okay, but why let her fall? You know, I mean, if—if if there's a potential there, and so as she's walking on her own that direction, I'd go over to her and I grab her hand and I said, "We're not going to walk this way. We're going to walk this way." She didn't like that, <laughs> and she is—she is trying to express her emotions and express and learn how to deal with different things. So punishment was not in order, but discipline was because she didn't know. And so she decided she just didn't want to go with me. She just wanted to lay there and just, just kind of be sad about it. And that's what she did. And so, uh, she loves outside. Outside is her middle name. If she sees the door, if I get her, I can hold her, be close to this back door of the church, and she just she sees the outside door because she sees what's on the other side of that door. She just sees it, and she says, outside, outside. And um, so we're going to go in the house because she's upset. And so I sat with her on the porch, and she's sad, and she's crying and just having a fit. And I said, Journey, we're not going to be this way. I said, you know, we, we, we can't do that, so we have to, you know, we have to calm down. And I just held her, and she eventually calmed down. But it's a learning process. Now, she still doesn't know why she couldn't walk that way. She's not old enough to understand that. But how many know through repetition we learn? Mm-hmm. We learn through repetition. And it's the same thing. When you get the word of God inside your spirit, that word of God repeats over and over again. And then when you get to a place when maybe you're uncertain of and you pray and the Lord brings the word of God to your mind and you're thinking, okay, that makes sense. That's clear now. Verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. Do so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Here's this verse again. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. He's giving some instruction here for us. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. You remember the story of of Esau selling his birthright. He didn't realize how important it was to him that was the only thing of value that he had and he didn't think it was valuable church our relationship with the Lord is the most valuable thing we have the birthright to Esau was the most valuable thing that he had at that time and he treated it as something that was common and just something that Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he has done. Church, a revival of holiness is what we need. It's what he requires. So the question I ask today is, will you commit to a revival of holiness to the Lord? Will you renew your attention to God? Will you invite him to give you restoration the restoration and flourishing abundant life that He really wants for you? Will you commit to realign your life to Him? Will you renew your devotion to His Word, His character, and His divine nature? Today is the day. A revival of holiness is what we need and it's really what He requires. I'm going to close with this verse, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. You probably know it if you've been in church in the length of time. It says, If my people, that's the people of God, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. He wants to heal our land, but surrender to him is what is required. He is holy. He's called us to be holy set apart for His purpose. Will you choose to do that today? First and foremost, it's by living a life dedicated to the Lord, by accepting Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Let us bow for prayer. Father, I thank You today for Your goodness and mercy. Thank You because You have called us to a revival of holiness. Thank You, Lord, because You have, you have set us apart for Your service. And Lord, we just... Today, make the decision to make You Lord and Savior of our lives. If we've not done that, that's the first step. And saying, Lord, I need You. I'm living a life of sin and I need You. If I've never asked You for forgiveness of sin before or if I have walked with you in the past, that right now I'm far away. I ask for your forgiveness today. And I proclaim Jesus as Lord in my life. For everyone else here, maybe, God, maybe I've lived in a way that's not pleasing to you. Maybe things going on in my life that nobody else knows but you know I commit myself to you today I recommit myself to you today with new purpose let your revival of holiness take root in my life let me purify myself and live for you and turn more toward you than the world in the name of Jesus I thank you for God in Jesus' name.